6.10. Finally, I guess that means he's almost finished. Not really. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand an evil day, and having done all, to stand. So the title of the message tonight, Put on the Armor. Put on the Armor. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time in your word. Thank you for the testimonies and how you've blessed us and worked in our hearts and encouraged us and, and through your precious word and, and your servants. Uh, Father, we do thank you for this uh, uh, opportunity we have to open your word tonight. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and again encourage us and challenge us. Help us to see our need to be armored in your power and your might that we might be effective and faithful in our world today. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Finally, brethren, finally, my brethren, verse 10, really it simply means the word finally here means or hereafter or for the future, or we might say from now on. From now on. That's really what he means. From now on, brethren. So from now on, if you're going to be successful... In your walk with the Lord, here's what you need to do. That's really what he's about to say. If you're going to be successful, you know, he's been talking in chapters 4 and 5. You know, chapters 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians are mostly doctrinal. You know, we're, we're uh, accepted in the beloved and we're forgiven and, and those kind of things. When you get to chapter 4, then he says, he talks about five walks in chapters 4 and 5. And f- there's five walks. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says you're to walk worthy. In chapter 4, verse 17, walk not as the Gentiles walk. Chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 8, walk in light as children of the light. Of the light. And then chapter 5, verse 15, we're to walk circumspectly. And that's, of course, with caution, with, with carefulness, and you know, being aware of what's, where we're going and the direction we're heading and all those things. You know, so as we think about uh, walk, you know, walk speaks of everyday life. Everyday life. It's day by day, hour by hour, the normal duties and activities of life, our attitudes, our actions, you know, whether it's work or school or, or, or home and, or work relationships. You know, all those things are really re- addressed in this book. In our, and that's our walk. It's everyday life. That's what he's referring to. So, you know, he has told us this is how we ought to conduct ourselves in our relationships. You know, marital, you know, husbands love your wives, wives submit, children obey, and, and you know, how to employers, employees to obey your masters, and so on and so forth. And he said, and now what he's saying is now here is how it's done and maintained every day. So from now on, if you want to be successful in your walk, this is what you need to do. Because you have an enemy that wants to disrupt your walk. And as we're going to see tonight, that enemy has great power. And it's very deceitful. So he says in verse 10, 
Be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. That word, you know, the be strong is a command. It's an imperative. It's a command. Now, it, it is passive in its tense. It means that it, it, it's, it has the idea of, the, of being the object of action or the one influenced by an eternal force. So it's a command that we be influenced by an eternal force. God wants to act in our lives. That's the idea here. We need to let God act in our lives. So we need to be strong in the Lord and His power of His might. You know, to live successfully in the Christian life is to live by the power of His might. Go to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua has been given a dominable, a very difficult, you might say, task or job to do with his life. Moses is dead. The guy that led Israel for 40 years in the wilderness kept them on the right track as much as he possibly could. <laughs> you know, some of them went their own way and did their own thing. But, but, and maintained their relationship with the Lord. And now they're about to enter the promised land. And you would think, now's the time they need Moses. They got to go in and start conquering the giants. But Moses is dead. And so now this passes off to Joshua. And I could imagine maybe Joshua being a little nervous about this. I think I'd be a lot nervous about this. Because we know what's in the land. Giants, walled cities, you know, all those things. But notice what the Lord says to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1 verse 5. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou, and that's a command, shalt thou divide for inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Now, you notice he says, I will be with thee, I will not fail thee, and I will not forsake thee. So, you know, he's commanding Joshua to do this, but he's saying that I will do it. But you're the guy that's going to be my point man. That's kind of the idea here. And if you, if you drop down to verse uh, 8, of course, this is the only place the word success is found in the Bible. This book of the law shall not depart of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So simply put, all what Joshua has to do is simply obey the Lord's command. He's obeyed the Lord's command. He's under authority. You know, when you're under authority, you're to obey the one over you. And the responsibility then of whether or not it turns out okay is not on you, it's on your authority. 
know, Joshua did everything the Lord commanded him to do. And the key to Joshua's success was meditating day and night. You know, after a battle, they'd come back to Gilgal. And they'd read the law of the Lord. And they'd again be reminded of the promises of God. And be challenged from God's word. And they were ready to go again and fight another battle. You see, they were relying on the Lord's, Joshua relied on the Lord's power, on his might. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 5, Paul spoke about this. 2 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 10, 1 through 5. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am base among you, but being absent, I am bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. So some were, some were saying that, you know, Paul's presence is weak. Paul said, I can be bold among you if I need to be. And I may be weak in body. So notice verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Notice the key there is through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So Paul said, you know, my, my, my strength or my power is not in my flesh. It's mighty through God. Pulling down strongholds. I mean, his power was so evident in Ephesus that the silversmiths thought their occupation was threatened, which it was. They realized it. His, see, his ministry had such an effect, such power, that it was going to put the silversmiths out of business making idols. Chapter 12, again, verse 9. He says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient to thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So we need to be strong in the Lord, in the power of his might. Be strong. We also be armed. Look at verse 11. Be armed. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We need to be armed. So put on your sword. So we would say, you know, put on your firearm. So we'd say it today. But, you know, of course, here he isn't talking about physical instruments or weapons of war. He's talking about spiritual. And he says we're to put on the whole armor of God. And we're going to look next week at what all that armor is. But I don't think we're going to have time tonight. But. But anyway, or, or, you know, you'd be saying hopefully finally. But, but anyway, uh, the word put on has the idea of, a, of the sense of just sinking into a garment. Now, and it is a command where to put it on. But think about this. After you sink into a garment, 
what is seen? You or the garment? It's the garment. It's the garment. And the word armor here is, it's, it's a Greek word, panoplia. It's not quite pronounced that way, but we would say panoply. It means uh, complete, a complete suit. A complete suit. And we'll see that next week. A complete suit of armor. And so we need to, we need to put on the armor of God. We need to, to, to be empowered by, the, by God. Not in our own strength. That's again the idea here. Uh, God's power be evident in our lives. First uh, Peter five five says, "Likewise, younger, submit yourselves to the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility." Of course, this takes humility. Uh, submitting again is the idea of submitting or 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 uh, 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 submitting to the, the, the armor of God. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace unto the humble. And so we need to we need to put on the armor. And, of course, we see here also the purpose of the armor, verses 11 and 12. He says in the last half of verse 11, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, notice it says, that you may be able. You know what that does tell me? You're not going to be able in your own strength. If you try to do it yourself, you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You and I cannot stand against the devil. You know, I've heard, I've heard preachers say, pray, Lord, Satan, I bind you tonight. No, I don't have power. We don't have power to bind Satan. Even Michael said, the Lord rebuked thee. Michael, the archangel, he even said, the Lord rebuked thee to Satan. You know, we need, you see, we cannot go against Satan in our own strength. We need the armor of God that you may be able able to have something capable, strong and powerful. That's the idea there. Against the wiles of the devil. That word wiles is, it means craftily or framed deceit or devices. Cunning arts. There is no one as cunning and as deceptive as the devil is. Now we might say, well some of them politicians are. Who do you think is energizing them? Seriously, who do you think is energizing them? Where do you think they get their ideas? You know, the devil deceives people into thinking, oh, there's a better way. There's an easier way. Yet God's ways are, God's ways are too, too restrictive. Well, yeah, before it gets too bad, uh, you know, I can play with it a little bit. Before it gets too bad, well, you know, I'll get right. A, a, a little, you know, bad music won't hurt. A little drinking, a little cussing, eh, that won't be hard. You know, I just won't get into hard stuff. Well, you know, the light stuff conditions you for harder stuff. You know, that was kind of Samson's philosophy. He kind of played with sin. He played with it. But where'd he end up? Bound. Eyes gouged out, grinding in the prison house like a like a mule. That's what sin will do to you. Judas played with sin. 
No, you see, we face a very powerful and deceptive enemy. Notice verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, look at some of these words here, uh, these descriptions that he gives of our enemy. Principalities. It has the, uh, the, the meaning of rule or first rule or majesty. The term is transferred to Paul by Paul to angels and demon, demons holding dominions entrusted them in the order of things. And, and you think about first rule, and uh, the thing that came to my mind was first, it was Satan. He was a the, one of the highest angels until he sinned. So these are very powerful beings. The word powers it's, it means the leading or and more powerful among created beings, beings, superior to man, spiritual potentates, used in the plural of certain a class of angels. Again, we're talking about demonic angels here. It's obvious in this passage. Uh, rulers be lords of the world, princes of this age, prince of the age. The devil and demons are called, in plural, the world rulers of this darkness. Uh, you know, Jesus said in John twelve thirty one, "Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out." He referred to Satan as the prince of this world. Of course, in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it says, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. So again, that refers there to Satan as the God of this world. He's a very powerful being. His demons are very powerful. Of course, the word darkness here, it speaks of the ignorance respecting divine things and human duties and the accompanying ungodliness and immorality together with their consequent misery in hell, persons in whom darkness becomes visible and holds sway. Right. You know, I was reading the description. I, you know, there's a lot of faces that came to mind in life today. I think this whole fiasco of the Kavanaugh con- uh, confirmation. You know, we see, what we see is faces of men and women. But the force or the influence of evil is satanic. It's satanic. And it's closer. You know, we see it. We face it in everyday life. We just don't think about it. We think of it as people pressuring us. But we're dealing. We're not dealing with just people. That's who we deal with face to face. But there's an evil force, an evil influence here. Yeah, there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there about things that go on in the world. You know, some people think about, talk about the Illuminati and talk about, like, talk about the Freemasons and the Bilderbergers and the Rothschilds and all these organizations that, that, that uh, men become members of and so on, and et cetera and influence the world, and how they control the world, and how they, you know, they do all these things. You know, and, 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 you know, some people think they had strong influence in our founders. But these, these groups, these groups are nothing more than men of false religion. 
what they are. And there have always been people like this in the world since Cain. Since Cain. The first notable one really was Nimrod. And it says that Nimrod was before the Lord. In other words, he was in the face of God. He was defiant of God. And he's the one that first built a kingdom. What that is is false religion. And trying to bring dominion over man and the world. And this is, this is everywhere today. It is, like I say, it's always been in the world. It's always been in the world. You know, their goal, their goal has always been, what was the goal at Babel? Make a name and I want, what, what, what was the real, what were they going to do? They were going to reach God, but what, was, what, was, what would God command them to do they wouldn't, were not going to do? Separate. They, weren't, they, they wanted to unify. They wanted one world government and one world religion, and that's, that was the, their, their goal. But, you know, that's still the goal with many in the world. Their goal is one world religion, one currency. You know, that's what socialism is all about. A world without individual nations. We have the United Nations. What do you think the goal of the United Nations is? Now, the interesting thing is, they have, a, they have an emblem outside the United Nations building, and it's a quote from, I'm trying to remember, it's Zechariah, or one of the books of the Bible, talks about turning your, your swords into plowshares. But it's taken out of context. That's talking about the millennium. It's not talking about now. That's unrealistic in our world because man is a sinner. Of course, they, don't, they deny that man is naturally evil but that is see that's the goal of a lot of of all really of all false religion united nations is un-american and diabolical you know our founders they did not promote a one world religion or dominion they promoted free enterprise capitalism false religion of course promotes socialism communism etc uh and we see this everywhere today this this article um Came, um, I'm not sure where I got it. Doesn't say. Anyway, it's by Jerry Ungurian or something like that. Anyway, March 3rd, this is March, dated March 31st, 2018. Pope Francis and the Coming One World Religion. There is an organization that we are hearing more and more about called the United Religions Initiative. Post Pope Francis has close ties to many members, and especially its founder. William E. Swing, former bishop of the Episcopal Church in San Francisco. Now, this was heralded, this project was heralded in June of 1995. Uh, But anyway, the article goes on. Attending the service in San Francisco Episcopal Grace Cathedral were political luminaries and representatives of all religions, including Britain's Princess Margaret, Anglican Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who was communists, Polish President Lech Walesa, Secretary General Butrus Ghali, Archbishop Renato Martino, he's a, he's a uh, something with the Vatican, the UN, and Archbishop John Quinn of San Francisco. The URI, or the United Religious Initiative, is meant to be for religions what the UN is for nations. 
Its purpose is to be the world religious authority, a UN for religion, in order to foster peace. Delegates to its charter writing summit in 1997 considered they had given birth to a, quote, movement as well as a spiritual institution, unquote. Um, Tell the people that there is a united religion, said Swing. It will shine the, the light of the world's spiritual traditions, paganism, occultism included, into a world desperately in need of light. It aims to solve issues of environment, population, poverty, and disease while building religious unity. Nothing about sin and a savior. Um, and this is, of course, being promoted. And you know, there's been a there's been a a vast push since the first uh, mid uh, 1900s for all the denominations to go back to their mother, which is Rome. And now, Rome is even getting together with, guess who else? Islam. You know, people used to say, Rome and Islam will never get together. I said, oh, yes, they will. They have the same father. Both murderers and thieves and liars. Two characteristics. Murderer and liar. That's what Jesus said the devil was. And they both will use, they will use, both of them will use those things to further their goals. They aren't really that much different. And now we see that they're getting together with Islam. Uh, taken from the interfaith website by Pope Francis, that's the, the Pope today. Pope Francis' openness to other faiths is part of a trend at the Vatican. A post today on the Wild Hunt noted that on a recent trip to Brazil, Pope Francis met with representatives of Candomble. I never heard of such a thing, but the post asked. But anyway, it's a it's some it's a form. It's got some Catholic theology in it. But they also uh, do animal sacrifices, and 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 they they pray for spirits to possess them. Demon possession, they pray for that. They seek it. And it's growing in Brazil, and so he's there to embrace these people. You know, if the Pope embraces reconciliation with Candombo, I guess that's how you pronounce it, um, and you know. What about embracing voodoo? Uh, voodoo. It, it comes from Africa. Um, uh, also, he, uh, he aligned himself, Pope Francis has now aligned himself with the global warming community, was a spokesman for the cause at the UN. He's also in agreement that our planet is overpopulated, that something needs to be done to rectify that. He has brought representatives from every religion into the Vatican to pray. This man has taken ecumenism to a new level. It is so obvious he is drawing the world into his web and many are falling for it. He is speaking of the redistribution of wealth, the evils of capitalism. Since when does a pope become entangled in political issues of the world? See, he's seeking the unity of the world. Uh, he's, pope said this, quote, Each of us has a vision of good and evil. We have to encourage people to move towards what they, they think is good. Everyone has his own idea of good and evil and must choose to follow the good and fight evil as he conceives them. That would be enough to make a world, the world a better place, unquote. I mean, these 
people that are threatening and beating those on the conservative side, they think they're doing good. They think they're right. He also said this quote, Since many of you do not belong to the Catholic Church and other, others are non-believers, from the bottom of my heart I give this silent blessing to each and every one of you, respecting the conscience of each one of you, but knowing that each one of you is a child of God. Unquote. He said, from my viewpoint of view, God is the light that illumines the darkness, even if it does, does not dissolve it. And a spark of divine light is in with each, within each of us. Um, this other article here came from Massachusetts. And this was a Catholic church that had some kind of Christmas thing. And they're using the Magi to try and say that, you know, the Magi, see, they were Gentiles, they were different. So God accepts all kinds of people. Quote, for five consecutive weeks, a colorful set of lights welcomed visitors and pilgrims by displaying the riding peace on earth, along with two bright spheres representing the earth and the symbols of the three religions claiming Abraham as their father. Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. What a delightful way to proclaim the breadth and length and height and depth of God's reconciling love and to announce God's good news that the one who was laid in a manger because there is no room in the inn makes room now, now for everyone. God is all-welcoming and all-reaching. This sounds so nice and wonderful. Too bad it isn't true. It's not true. You see, there's this, there's this push for a one-world religion. You know, examine the history, as we think about Islam and the Roman Catholic Church, examine the history, they're very much alike. Both post-Jews, Jews, both think that Israel, the Holy Land, should be theirs. That's what the Crusades were about. Catholics taking the Holy Land from the Catholics, or from the, the Turks or the Muslims. Uh, both persecute Jews, both persecute Christians, both, you know, they both think the Holy Land is there. And, and so the, these, all these things, you know, this, this false religion, these false religions, these organizations that are trying to promote communism are all energized by the devil. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Notice, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. That word worketh is the Greek word energo, which is energy. So where are they getting their energy? Where do they get their power? Where are they getting their influence? It's from the prince of the power there, who's Satan. Go to, go to Daniel chapter 10. I want, you to, I want to show you something here, and I don't want to spend too much time in this tonight, but just to give you an idea of the power and influence that Satan has, Daniel chapter 10, we kind of get a glimpse 
of the spiritual warfare that goes on in the heavens. In Daniel 10, just to get the context, Daniel has been fasting and praying for three whole weeks for some understanding into a vision that the Lord gave him. And then in, in verse uh, 12, it says, Then he said, and so finally this, this messenger appears to Daniel. And in verse 12, it says, Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I uncome for thy words. So from the very first day you started fasting and praying, God heard you. God heard you. And I came. But notice, verse 13, But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. So the Lord sent an angelic being, or the Lord Jesus himself, and we're not sure here, there's different opinions of who that is, but he sent a messenger to Daniel with the message, and the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood him one and twenty days. So for one twenty days, he was doing battle with this demonic prince to get the message through to Daniel. But lo, notice the rest of the verse, but lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the, king of, kings, with the kings of Persia. And now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days, for yet the vision is for many days. Notice, drop down to chapter, or verse 20. Then said he, Knowest thou wherefore I come unto thee? And now I will return to fight with the prince of Persia. So he's going back to fight with the prince of Persia again. And when I'm going forth, forth, lo, the prince of Greece shall, shall come. But I will show thee that which thou is noted in the scripture of truth. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. Now, so there was a prince of Persia who withstood him. There's also a prince of Grecia. And then he said, there's Michael, your prince. You know what it looks like? Every nation has a demonic force fighting against it. And every nation has a, an angel of the Lord working in for it. Israel had, was, when he says your prince, so Michael was the prince of course, in chapter 12, it makes reference to Michael also, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people. So, so Michael was an angel, an angel of the Lord, assigned to the kingdom of Israel to fight on their behalf in the heavenlies, in spiritual warfare that goes on in the heavenlies. And it, it is it evident here in chapter 10 that there are fallen angels Fighting against God's angels. You know, and the angels are ministering spirits to the heirs of salvation. So there's a warfare going on in the heavens that we don't see. And God just gives us a little glimpse of it here. So when, we're, when Paul says, we're not fighting flesh and blood, that's not, that's not where these influences come from. They're being energized by the devil himself and his his well-orchestrated kingdom. Satan has a kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 24. Matthew 12, 24. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but Beelzebub, 
Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he, he is divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? See, Satan has a kingdom. It is well organized. Divided into principalities, which correspond to the kingdoms of the world. It seems evident from, from Daniel chapter 2. It, 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 it appears he has, there's an angelic hierarchy over which he rules. And of course, Ephesians 12 you know, gives us a list of principalities and powers, and rulers of the darkness of the world. Daniel 20, 10 talks about the prince of Kurs, the prince of Grisha. You know, Satan has titles indicating his lordship. Ephesians 2 calls him the prince of the power of the air. He's called the god of this world. Satan has personal glory. Again, in Matthew 4 and verses 8 and 9, he offers to the Lord the kingdoms of the world. And all the glory of the kingdoms of the world. Because he had dominion over those. Babylon, Persia, Grecia, Egypt. What do all these nations have in common? They fought against God's people. See, these kingdoms are all kingdoms of the devil. See, there's a great conflict that is not seen with the eye. It all started with these words. I will be like the Most High. And Lucifer, son of the morning, created by God as an angel, believed to be a director of music in heaven. Read Ezekiel, Ezekiel 28 describes him as a... a, a, a the tablets and pipes were prepared in thee. You know, he said, I will be like the Most High God. I will be worshipped like the Most High God. And so since that time, there has been a war, a spiritual war. We get another glimpse of it. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 12. Just to... You understand here, Revelation is not, again, the book of Revelation is not in chronological order. Um, there will be things that's spoken of here in chapter 12, some of which has already happened, some of which is already future. But Revelation 12, verse 1, it says, There appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child, travailing in pain, in birth, and pain to be delivered. Now, who might that be? Who's the woman with child? Twelve stars. Well, we believe it's Israel, referring to Israel, the twelve tribes. You know, Joseph saw the sun and the moon bow down uh, to him. Uh, but anyway, so we believe it's Israel, and here's the reason we say it. Verse, look at verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. All those descriptions are significant. But we know the, who the dragon is. If you drop down to verse 9, 
It says, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. So we know the dragon is Satan. And so there appears this other wonder, and his tail, verse 4, drew the third part of the stars. The stars refers to angels. So he drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for devour her child as soon as it was to be born. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations. So who does that child have to be? The Lord Jesus Christ. And as soon as he's born, he's ready to devour him. What happened immediately after Jesus was born? The Magi comes, or the wise men. And he asks, where is he born king of the Jews? Here to the king. So he asks the scribe, where is he? And then he sends the wise men, you go worship, and then you come tell me where he is. And, of course, he wanted to kill him. They had to flee to Egypt. So as soon as he was born, you know, there, you think about it. There, you know, I believe there was attempts on Jesus' life throughout his life. Satan tried every way to kill him without allowing him to go to a cross. As soon as he's born, all right. Uh, of course, she was caught. He, uh, she brought forth a man child, so that'd be the birth of Christ, who was to rule all nations. We know that's going to be the millennium. He's going to rule it with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to His throne. That's Acts chapter one verse nine. He was caught up into heaven. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had the place prepared of God, and that she feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. So Israel was driven out. And, of course, they're going to flee again during the tribulation. This is really talking about tribulation. They're going to be driven out of their land. They're going to have to flee because the Antichrist is going to come against them. And, and of course, that's when the Lord's going to undertake and intervene. But, but see, this, is, this is, uh, 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 gives us a picture of this battle that Satan is an adversary to the Lord. Look at, look at chapter 17, and it explains some of this. Chapter 17, you know, he has seven heads seven crowns, and ten horns. This is descriptive. Verse 9, 17.9 says, And here is the mind which hath wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Now the woman is talking about apostate religion. And old timers used to say, years ago they used to say that's the Roman Catholic Church. I think it's more than that. I think it's going to be the United Religious Initiative. It's going to be all the religions that are going to come together, Islam included. They're going to all come together in opposition against God and against Israel. And so that's what you have. But it's significant. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. The head of this thing is the Roman Catholic Church. Does anybody know what is called the city of the seven hills? It's Rome. It's built on seven hills. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, and one is, and one, the other is not yet come. Now, let's just think about these seven kings. Five are fallen, okay? That means they are already passed. There have been five world powers that have persecuted Israel. Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, and Greece. One is. At the time of this writing, what is the one is? It's Rome. The one is yet to come. 
Bible commentators call it the revived Roman Empire. Many believe it will be the European Union. Ten kings. And his time will be short. That will be the Antichrist who's coming out of that. His time will be short. We know it's going to be during the tribulation. The tribulation period is seven years. And the last half of it is really when the persecution against Israel, which will only be three and a half years. So it's only going to be a short reign. But you see, there, there, you know, and this is, this is really the world coming together. And, and notice, notice the uh, drop down to verse uh, um, 13. These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. These shall make war with the lamb, and the lamb shall overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and they that are with him are called chosen are called and chosen and faithful. Of course, that is actually going to happen, described for in Revelation 19. But again, who is the energy or the influence behind all this? It's Satan. John 5, 1 John 5, 19 says this, The whole world lieth in wickedness. And the word picture there is, the whole world, the vast majority of the world, is sitting comfortably like a child would sit on their mother's lap. They're comfortable there. And you see, this is the enemy that we're facing. You might say, well, that's overwhelming. Not really. You know, what is our, you know, are we supposed to should we spend our time and efforts fighting these organizations? No. I mean, you can fight the Roman Catholic Church all your life. Are you going to get rid of it? No. Don't waste your time. Just witness to Catholics. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, our focus, you know, Paul's saying here, if we're going to be successful, if we're not going to succumb to the pressures and the influences of this world, because it is the majority of the world. And so if we're not going to succumb to the influence and the pressures of this world, we need to put on the whole armor of God that we can stand. That we can have the wisdom to stand and talk to a man for an hour and give him answers that answer his objections to the truth. That brings people to the place where, you know what? I've got to make a choice. I've got to make a choice. Yeah, we've got some people that we've been talking with about this, that they're at that place. I've got to make a choice. And they're struggling. You know why they're struggling? Because there's an influence of evil and there's an influence of the Spirit of God. And they're at war with each other. And they're at war against you. The last thing they want is you opening your big mouth and telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Just keep quiet. They'll let you alone. You see, our focus is still to be to preach the gospel. Jesus commanded us to preach the gospel to every creature. He didn't command us to fight the Roman Catholic Church, to fight Islam. Although, as a nation, we're going to have to if we're going to survive. You know, that's the job of the nation. That's not the job of the church of the living God. You know, our focus is to be on individuals, the souls of men. 
and preaching the gospel. And, and that can have great, impact, great effect. Think about it. Our nation started with a few individuals whose purpose was twofold. Freedom of worship and preaching the gospel to the heathen. That's why they came here. And the fruit of that is we have a constitution and a bill of rights that gives us freedom to this day to do that very thing. You see, preaching the gospel can have great effect. And Jesus promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. All power is given unto you, he said. Go ye therefore. See, we don't need to be afraid. We don't need to be afraid of all these organizations and these evil influences. We don't need to be afraid of them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. But if, if we're going to engage in the battle, if we're going to engage the enemy, which this is the enemy, and that's the influence behind the people we see that are opposing us, if we're going to engage in the battle, we need to have the whole armor of God. That's why Paul said you need to put it on. Be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Because if you try to do it in your own flesh, it's going to. going to fail. First John 5 and verse 18, John says, We know that whatsoever, or whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. See, if we put on the armor of God, if we engage in the battle, witnessing is engaging the enemy. And we need his power. We need his wisdom. Prayer. Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. Praying with, in the spirit. All supplication. That's engaging the enemy. We're doing battle with the enemy. But we need not fear. You know, we, we can be like the the virtuous woman in Proverbs 31, 21, you know, it says, she's not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. And we need to not be afraid of the enemy if we are clothed. If we've, you know, sense of sinking into, if we put on the armor of God, we don't need to be afraid of the enemy even though it is greater than us, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We need to simply go in the power of his might, and we can be victorious. So might we be challenged to spend time with the Lord, put on that armor, and we're going to, we're going to look next week what it means to put the armor on, what the armor actually is. But we need to understand, we do have an enemy. We have a foe that is greater than us, but he's not greater than our Lord who can give us the victory if we'll simply go in his mind. Let's pray.